millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Secret Library Podcast. I'm Caroline Donahue. As a lifelong book lover, I've been hanging out with books as long as I can remember. Here on the show, we're going inside the world of books and learning what's involved in going from brilliant idea to finished manuscript and what it takes to get it out in the world. You'll hear from authors, publishers, editors, and all kinds of professionals whose work brings you what you read every day. The Secret Library Podcast is sponsored by Muse Monthly, a subscription box for literature and tea lovers. Get a brand new novel custom paired with a full box or tin of tea on your doorstep every month. Visit musemonthly.com and use the code SECRET00, all one word in all caps, for 10% off your subscription. Okay, we are back with another episode of the Secret Library Podcast. And this week, my guest is Lindsay Smith, and she is both a writer and an editor, which is very exciting to me. Her book is out now. It's called Remember Us. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. But she brought home her first quote-unquote published book in grade one, which was called A Trip to the Beach. And from that moment, she was hooked on the writing life. I know that feeling. (laughs) She uh, spent her childhood dreaming of being a writer, her teenage years typing out half-finished novels on a now-ancient computer. Oh, I know that well. Um, We won't talk about the terrible poetry that filled her journals, but a teenage girl's got to have someplace to put her angst. And that is true. So she is a writer now, but it took a long time to get there. I'm sure many people can relate to this experience. Um, She kept waiting for permission that never came and uh, eventually decided to walk into it on her own. Gatekeepers be damned. So, and these days she writes on the kitchen table in the corner of the playroom with toys and cats at her feet. She writes books about friends and lovers, about relationships that make us who we are whether they're giving us life or breaking our hearts. And her debut novel, Remember Us, is available on Amazon, and she is working on another novel right now. So, and she's also an editor, and we're going to talk about her editing process. She's at brightlightsediting.com. And thank you so much for being with us, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. This is really fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So... Basically, what we've been talking about on this show, we've been talking to authors who've been published, so we've got that insight from you, But and we've just started to sort of talk about the beginnings of the process. We kind of went into it ass-backwards in a way, because we started talking about publishing and different methods of publishing and how people have published their books, but then we went all the way back to the beginning uh, recently with Sarah Selecki and talked about writing and the very, very beginnings of writing. So... I want to talk about your relationship to editing since you've edited both your own work and other people's. It's different, right? Like, I mean, (laughs) um, editing my own, editing my own work is uh, infinitely harder for me than editing someone else's work. Um, I'm in the revision phase of my second novel right now, and it's where I get stuck, right? Like the first draft and counting words and all that stuff is fine. Um, takes me a little while, but it, it's the faster part of the process. And then I get to revisions and, and start to get bogged down. But I think editing for, for another author, and I, I think what really comes back to the importance of editing is having that objective set of eyes on your work, right? Um, not just not just because another set of eyes can catch the the typos or the hundred times you use very in your book or <laughs> the you know whatever your character shrugs all the time or licks their lips or you know someone else is is more likely to catch those little ticks than you are. But I think the other side of it um, that I found in my own experience with having critique partners for my own novel and just in the uh, relationships with my own clients is having someone else read and engage in your story before there's a lot at stake, right? So 
having that relationship with an editor, especially, and I come from this, um, I'm an indie author and I, I edit pretty much exclusively for indie authors. So I, I always say in particular for indie authors who don't have a publishing team and an editing team behind them, having someone who you are essentially paying to give you an honest critique of your work is really, really invaluable. Um, and it, it helps, helps authors stand out from that indie market, which I think is a lot of indie authors know at this point is, is pretty oversaturated. So the higher the quality of your book, the more likely it is to get read and recommended and get those reviews on Amazon, which we know are, are so important. So I have, I love editing. Obviously, I wouldn't be in it if I if I didn't. Um, I think the more I do this, though, the uh, the longer I do this, the more I realize I think how um, how important it is and and how how it really really allows authors to put their best work out there, and that matters to me. Absolutely. So, I think yeah, I agree that like there is this separation between work that's had someone else look at it and it isn't just, okay, I wrote it down and here we go. And what do you think, what do you see most often in people's writing that differentiates it from work that hasn't been edited from work that has, or like where, what, what feels different? Cause I, we all know it's like a feeling quality, but I'm curious about how you articulate that difference. It is. It's a little intangible, isn't it, sometimes, where we can't always put our finger on how we know that something hasn't been professionally edited, but it's there. Um, I think it, it depends. So there's two, I work in two streams of editing, and you know most writers are probably familiar with this, but you've got developmental editing and then copy editing. So if I'm getting a novel from an author who wants developmental editing, or if I'm reading a book that hasn't been, that hasn't had beta readers or a critique partner or something like that. So oftentimes, this this would be pretty significant, but developmental editing, it's, it's plot holes. It's my character's eyes are brown in chapter one and green in chapter 15. Um, it's... Without an explanation for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, without... Could be sci-fi. <laughs> Could be barring, but exactly. If barring you some don't sort of say anything man. about why it's happened, people are going to be surprised. <laughs> um, with so I, I usually say, in all honesty, I think we notice it more in copy editing because I mean, you can put out a book that hasn't had someone read and you know do a developmental edit, but it's it's more likely that if these books are getting published, that they are, are decent stories, right? They might even be good stories. But what you'll see, what I see most often is um, just outside of your standard kind of typos or grammar errors or uh, things like that, which are distracting. Um, nobody often say that, that you can't tell when a book has been copy edited really well, but you can tell when it hasn't, yeah. right? Like you're, your copy editing is silent um, until it isn't. And then you've got, you know, periods outside your quotation marks. Or you're someone who has a habit of using a semicolon when you shouldn't or a comma when you should use a semicolon. So there are things like that that I go through. Those like little itty bitty tedious looking at every punctuation mark that is just so difficult for authors to do on their own work. Um, the other thing that I see a lot is repetition. So whether it's uh, repetition of word choice, where an author will use the same phrase, say three sentences or three paragraphs in a row, or they will um, maybe tell me the same story twice. So we've kind of maybe gone through a scene with a character, with a couple of characters, they, you know, We've read it, we've experienced it, and then three or four chapters later, the author's retelling that story to mm. me. And um, there's just no need for that, right? But as 
writers know when you're in the thick of writing these drafts. Because I think readers look at that and they think, well, how does that even happen? It's because you wrote chapter four like five months before you wrote chapter 14 sometimes and you've forgotten that you said this. Um, And so I catch those things, those little inconsistencies, like I said, with um, sometimes authors will change names, change characters' names, and if they haven't done a find and replace or if there's been a typo or something, there's little things like that um, that are nothing, right? It's just a quick change, but super embarrassing if you publish your book with something like that in it. Um, And then just your regular, like I said earlier, the, the character ticks. We all tend to have some... I was re- it was Rainbow Rowell, I think, who said her editors were always at her because her characters were shrugging all the time. <laughs> and, and she said, the thing is that in real life, people shrug constantly, but your characters can't. And so mm-hmm. it's, are they, in my first novel, I had my main character who pressed her lips together all the mm-hmm. time. She pressed her lips together and my editor was like, um, she's done this like 15 times. <laughs> We need something new. And that's, that's just another, it's just, it's another first draft thing. It's another, um, yeah. So I do, I do a lot of that stuff. I see those things. And I think that, so all of those sound pretty minor. And sometimes I think that readers, if they, if they're reading a book that hasn't had a a quality copy edit done on it, I don't know that they'd be able to say, Ness, some might, I don't know that they'd all be able to say that, you know, oh, it just, this character did this all the time, or there were too many commas, or it's just going to be, it didn't flow, Mm -hmm. or it didn't work for me, or the writing just wasn't there. It'll be these really obtuse and unclear criticisms or critiques that just didn't need to happen, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so I, I often, my, my passion is definitely copy editing. It's, it's really what I love to do. And so I just often think of it as just, it's just getting out of your own way. Do your copy editing and get out of your story's way. Let your characters and your story and all this hard work that you've done, let it speak for itself. And, and don't have people getting tripped up on what really, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Right. So that's, that's kind of how I, I come at it. Yeah. I think it's, it's true because there are, those little moments have nothing to do with the story really. It, but they distract you from the story. I'm thinking of a series of books um, that I read. I won't name any names, but, um, but they were published. So clearly this didn't bother their editor, but um, they, um, and it was published by a press too, but it was, um, a character who was constantly grinning. She never smiled. I'm like, couldn't she smile? Like, does she always have to have this shit eating grin? And it was like, not, <laughs> it was not a, um, there weren't necessarily, they weren't like, she wasn't like busted in the middle of something. It was just like, she grinned. And I was like, stop grinning, stop grinning. And I couldn't, it's like, it's like when you have like a weird noise in the background, like there's a, there's a refrigerator in the room that's making a funny room, you know, and you're there and you can't concentrate and you can't write and you can't do anything because that thing is going on. I feel like that's what happens when things aren't copy edited. Yeah. And you can't, you eventually can't notice anything else. I mean, every... Maybe that's just us because we both done it, but now I, I think be, it's true for most people. I think so. I, I think it's a it's a precarious relationship or an interesting relationship. Precarious is the wrong word. An interesting relationship between an author and an editor and probably um I don't have I, I don't really have um experience within the traditional industry of traditional publishing, but um authors still get so much of their own say in this, right? Um, And I think that's one thing that I know is kind of a constant headache for editors because um, we have, I I have had mostly really wonderful clients who um, have been really great to work with. And I think most editors would say the same thing, but at the end of the day, the author makes those choices, right? So um, I can say that, you know, your character grins too much. I can say um, you use this word too often and 
they have to do what they do with it, right? Like at the end of the day, they get that final say on that and they should, it's their work. Um, So it's always a tough thing for me when I look at reviews, you see it a lot in the indie world, I think because people come into the self-published books with the expectation that they won't be well-written. It's still this um, real, I am at a loss for the word, but it's this impression that people have of the, you know, of self-published books of the indie community that they are just kind of hammered out and published off because you don't have to have anyone do anything with them. And so I'll read reviews. Oh yeah, this was a really well-written book, which was nice to see from an indie novel. And, but then you'll get the comments about how this one really needed an editor or this needed this. And sometimes, yes, they absolutely might have other times. I'm kind of sitting there and I'm like, okay, but maybe they did have an editor and the author didn't listen. So that's just my own personal little like editors, editors, uh, note here, I guess. But I, the stumbling, the stumbling block for it, and this is a very real stumbling block, is is just the investment, right? Like it's, yeah. it costs money to hire an editor. So I have a great deal of, um, I, I have more than sympathy because I live in this world myself, right? And um, it is an investment to hire a cover designer to. Um, hire an editor and to, you know, whether you're doing PR, whether you're doing, but like all these things that have to come into play when you're publishing your own novel. And I think because we're writers and we likely have, you know, a better than average grasp of the English language, or we probably have connections with people who can read our books and do those edits, do those edits for us. We, we think that that's something that we can, um, cut back on. And I, I think, I think the results are just, I don't think it always works. You know, I, I think there are reasons why we hire people who obviously I'm biased. So this is now not really coming off as like totally objective, which it isn't, but, um, I, I just think you have to be careful, right? I think you have to be careful when you're looking at, can I, at what point do I need to bring somebody else in on this? Um, and how am I going to know that I can trust them? Yes. And that's Which, a really good question. Like, how do you, I would say, what do you think, what advice do you have other than people should reach out to you? Cause I think that would be great. But, um, <laughs> how, how should someone approach looking for an editor? Cause I have talked to writers who are, you know, they're not certain they have the right editor or they don't know how to find one or they worked with somebody and it didn't feel quite right. It wasn't like a perfect fit. So what do you recommend writers do in terms of how to approach an editor or even how to look for one? I think, I think if you have connections or relationships with other authors, that's a good place to start. If you have, if you know someone who has successfully published their own novels and are happy with um, the editing they've had done, that that's the best recommendation right there, right? You find someone who you trust, and uh, I've had a few a few clients like that, and it always gets the relationship started off really well because they're coming into it already feeling pretty confident. Um, most it, so I'm going to talk carefully here. Editing is, um, can be quite expensive. I have very intentionally priced my services, um, again, specifically for indie authors because, um, in a lot of cases you can spend a couple of thousand dollars on editing um, your novel. Right. And that, that cost can be really prohibitive for indie authors. Um, it's prohibitive for me. So my costs are, are a lot, my prices are a lot lower. Um, and that's why I usually, 
I'm trying to think of how to say this because I don't think it's bad advice to say to someone, don't just go find the cheapest editor. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's bad advice. I think that's good advice. Um, I would just also counter it with don't automatically disregard someone whose prices are lower. There can be a hundred different reasons for that. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're not good at what they do. They could just be starting out. They could have done that intentionally. Um, they could, you know, whatever, I guess those are the two that come to mind. But I think if you're, if you're Google searching, it's just a matter of it's emailing an editor, it's reaching out, you know, a lot of them will do either a short, uh, free or inexpensive complimentary edit just for you to get a feel for their style, um, for them to get a look at that's see that initial connection is always really important for me too, because I don't, I don't have just standard like set price per word or, or price per page counts. I, I fluctuate my costs. I have a starting point and then I have my own scale that I work off of for how much work is going to be involved and how long the book is. So that first um, consult for me is really important. I get a feel for how this author's this author's style, how much how much time and am I going to invest here? Um, is this going to be a really heavy copy edit? Is it a light copy edit? Uh, am I doing developmental work? And then I think you can gain a lot of insight in those in those first few emails. I really do. You get trust your gut. Um, and so my first this is kind of a funny and I guess a little bit ironic story. My first experience with an editor was um, less than ideal for me, actually. Mm. And I found myself doing a lot of my um, copy edits on my book after. So I received the manuscript Mm. back from my editor and there were things that had been missed and um, just notes that didn't really make a lot of sense and changes that were put in that introduced mistakes, which is just right. It's that kind of like first, you know, wrong thing. And so, um, but it was a really good learning experience for me because it, it had me looking at this saying, okay, so it didn't work out, but I was further ahead than if I had done it entirely on my own. I will absolutely say that. Um, and, you learn. And so for me next time it was kind of like, okay, so a brand new editor wasn't the place to start for me. Um, I needed someone who had a little bit more experience and probably, and I probably could have invested more money in it, but I think you can gain a lot of information from that first connection. And you know what, if it doesn't go well, (laughs) it's frustrating. (laughs) Um, but you just, you do something different the next time, you know, like there's no foolproof way to find someone who is going to, to make this perfect. And I will absolutely say without hesitation that you won't find an editor who will catch every mistake. Um, it, it is, I'm, I would hazard to say impossible. I think that's a fair statement. (laughs) You know, like if you think about the number of times we read traditionally published novels and find a typo or find something. Oh my God. And then immediately want to mark them. I always be like, oh, I want to mark it. (laughs) It drives you nuts, (laughs) right? Um, And you think of how many steps that book has gone through and how many people have had their hands on that book and read that manuscript and still it happens until we have machines to do this kind of thing. It's just, it's not a perfect science. Um, and the beauty of the indie publishing world is that if you find a typo, you can correct it and upload a new manuscript and have a second edition of your book. And And good to go. You're good to go. You're on your way. Um, just partner with your editor, get to know them. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, find one who, who fits your style. There are some fabulous editors out there who will cost a significant amount of money and they will do a wonderful job. Um, and if you can afford that, then do it right. Um, they'll probably, there will be, I don't have, um, and then there'll be editors like me who 
I don't necessarily have the same. I, I like to have a little bit more of a relationship with my authors. I don't have as many authors. I don't take on as many clients. Um, and I try to be available for them. I think, again, because I work with indie authors who are sort of really needing that, okay, well, I revised it like this. Does this work better? Can I get your feedback on that? And I've just decided that that's the way I like to communicate with my authors. I like to be able to have a back and forth. I like to be able to um, establish a relationship because I feel like it makes both of us feel more comfortable. Um, and I want to make sure that the people I'm working with are putting the highest quality books out as they can, right? Like this is, this is important for me too. I don't, I don't want books out there if they've got my name on them with a ton of mistakes in them, right? Like we've done revisions and added in more mistakes and I'd rather take the extra time and look through those yeah. again. So find one who suits your style. Maybe you, maybe you want them done faster. Maybe you want them, you know, like there's, there's a million different, different kinds of editors out there. And I know that that's really overwhelming, but I also feel pretty confident that, um, that means that there's one for a match for each writer too. Yeah. There's a lid for every pot. Absolutely. So what's your process like? Um, I'm curious as a writer, like what's your, what was your process like with your first book in terms of like going from initial draft to final publishing? I don't think people realize like how many drafts people go through or like what the timeline is. Yeah, it was, um, somebody asked me this question earlier. A friend of mine was asking me this question earlier today. So I've been thinking about it. I think for me from first draft to publication, it was, um, about 14 months, maybe a little bit longer. It might've been like say 14 months to a year and a half. I had finished a first draft of another novel and was working on my revisions and was super stuck and not getting anywhere. And, um, the story of uh, Remember Us was just really kind of lodged in me and had been for a while. I'd been toying with this kind of idea for a long time and it wouldn't leave me alone. And eventually I just shoved the other manuscript in the door in the, in a drawer, sorry, and sat down to write my novel. And it just was like something clicked. And so the first, the first draft took me the longest um, for sure. I think that took the better part of a year and then the, uh, and that's not because of my, my lifestyle. So, and at that point I would have still been working when I started it. Um, I'm married. I've got a couple kids. We're foster parents. There's a lot that happens in my house on the day to day. And so I can't, um, set aside, you know, eight hours a day to sit down and work. So I wrote in kind of three or four hour blocks of time when I get to the end of the novel and I'm kind of like close to that first draft, that's when I'm sort of like stealing time from the dinner hour and like writing, like while my kids are behind me and I'm like getting every second I can because I, I can't stop. But for the most part, I worked in three or four blocks, three or four hour blocks of time, some weekends and stuff. And so the first draft took me the longest. And then a few months for revisions, I had a wonderful critique partner who worked with me on that first novel who really um, helped the revisions portion of that book for me. I can't recommend that highly enough. Um, I tried, I worked with a few beta readers that was a little less successful for me personally. And the revisions are where I get stuck. Usually it's the big, um, so this, it's the same reason why copy editing is um, really my passion when it comes to editing. Um, I enjoy doing the developmental editing, but the copy editing just really lights me up. And it's the same reason why the big revisions are difficult for me in my novels. It's the big picture stuff. It's mm -hmm. reworking chapters and kind of rewriting characters. And I'm right in the thick of that with this book right now that I'm working on. And, and that's harder because it's switching... Yeah, it's just changing the tone of the book or maybe changing the tone of a character even a little bit. Um, 
going back and cutting scenes, cutting chapters, adding things. It's this big reworking. Um, and so it's just overwhelming and hard for me. So that's where I get stuck. Um, and then finished that and sent it off to, I had a couple, uh, like I said, a couple beta readers who gave me some good feedback. And so I was able to work some of those things in, sent it off to my editor. I, I want to say that took about a month and then I took a little longer on that end on that end to do the copy edits because I did have a little bit more work to do on that. So I, I went through, I, I read like, I think it's 369 pages or something. And I read every single page out loud to try <laughs> every single page. <laughs> I don't Over blame you. Like, I don't I blame was you. Like, ah! I was freaking out. So I read them all out loud to just try and catch everything I could. I'm actually pretty pleased with the results. Nice. Um, and then I had my cover at that point. I used um, the cover lure, so, and I highly recommend them. That was amazing. I love my cover. I still, every time I see that cover, get a little happy shiver. It was just <laughs> perfect for that book. Um, my husband did my formatting for me. That was a headache. Um, oh, that was such a nightmare. I was really glad I wasn't doing that. And then... It was published toward just around this time last year. Actually, I think it was August 24th. And so, and I think I finished writing the first draft at the end of May. Okay. So say from about a year or so, probably a little longer than a year to get to May for the first draft. And then from May until the end of August was revisions, copy edits, cover formatting, and then online. So there's a lot of stuff that happens in that short period of time, right? And that could have been shorter if I was um, either more disciplined or whatever you want to call it to get the revisions done faster. I think you get it done when you get it done. I mean, it's just, it takes what it takes. I mean, I do think it's good to know this because people think like, okay, there's this standard of, of traditionally published books being like two years, you know, and Indie publishing, they think, oh, you can slap something out there every month. And I'm like, mm, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> you can, but that doesn't mean that everybody does or that if you're reading an indie published book, that that's what happened. Um, no, it certainly doesn't. And most of the indie authors I know uh, don't work like that. The reality is that most indie authors are working other, are, you know, working full-time jobs, have family responsibilities, all the same things that traditionally published authors have as well. Traditionally published authors just have hard and fast deadlines. Yes. And that changes the way you work. Um, I know you had Alora Ramirez on and she is someone who helped. I know her process. Um, she, she puts together her own deadlines basically is how she works. And that's one way, right? Self-published authors can hire their editor and say, I have to get this manuscript to them by this date. I need to have it to my cover artist or my PR team or whoever's doing my formatting by this date. And then you put your own deadlines in place. I just haven't done that because I can't, I'm not willing to commit to that. I work really well in a deadline, but I need, I need more flexibility yeah. in, in how I do this. So, um, and I know I was just, I, I wrote a, blog post on my on just on my own site the other day as I was kind of processing through some of this stuff but I was planning I'm still hoping I can maybe make it but the plan was for book two to be released this fall I was aiming for sometime in November except that I forgot that my children get out of school and my creativity is completely sucked out of me. <laughs> this summer I saw is that the blog post and I was like oh it's good to know what you're your I've learned, optimum yeah. period of time is, you know, yes. when you work right. best. To, yeah. to find your rhythms and to find your seasons. And I, I had this plan of doing my revisions this summer and I forgot that I am not that creative in the summer. Something about the heat just drags me down, but I can, it's funny cause I can already start to feel it, like feel the, the anxiety or the energy building again for September to sit down and, and hopefully get this, um, get this done. But it, everyone works on different, 
on different schedules and everyone for some people the revisions go really quickly and then you kind of hit the copy edits for some people the first draft is where you get stuck because especially on that first novel right it's this big hurdle to finish something I think we all have that experience of half-finished novels, of ideas that never got, right? Like a few chapters and then it never went anywhere because the inspiration kind of waned. And so I think for some people too, it's it's getting down and doing that first draft. But that's why there's just a lot of grace for yourself. Um, learning, learning your seasons, learning where your tough spots are um, and just just pressing on, right? Like not... You don't write for a couple months. That's okay. That doesn't mean you can't write again. It just means you have to just sit down and do it. I told someone earlier today, because she was um, this friend of mine who I was speaking to, and she asked, she was saying, I have all these ideas, and I write them down, but then they never go anywhere, or I write some, you know, I lose interest, or it just feels like it kind of dies off, and do I keep that stuff, or what do I do, and how do I, how do I actually finish the book? And I just told her, I think writing is equal parts inspiration and motivation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually that initial inspiration for that story is going to feel a little stale. I think it happens to all of us. But that's where it's just just sit down and just write it, right? Just the muse will come when, when you show up. <laughs> so, yeah, I think so too. And I think I'm happy to have you here to test this theory on. I've been playing with this theory lately that writer's block is when you have your writing self and your editing self turned on at the same time. Mm. And I, I like so I think that the issue is that you can't do both at the same time. And if you're trying to write the perfect sentence or the perfect plot point or the perfect story, you can't just write freely. And I don't know where I'm curious what you think about that. I think that makes perfect sense. I don't think you can, you're, you're not using the same part of your brain when you're um, creating as you are when you're editing. Right. Um, I, again, every, every writer is different. I just really believe that there's a lot of wisdom to not editing as you go. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wisdom to Anne Lamott's shitty first draft and just writing it out. Um, I think one, what has worked for me, if you're someone who kind of, cause sometimes I need a little bit of a reminder. Sometimes I need a little bit of a reminder of what has happened and I'll go back and maybe read, you know, if I've written 10 chapters, maybe I'll go back and read them. I might make some changes then. Um, you know, okay, I'm here and I forgot that I did this and I might make some small changes, but I have, I have very clearly stopped writing to edit a little bit and then go back to writing. Um, that's why that that's why your that's why your characters shrug or grin or you know <laughs> whatever run their fingers through their hair or say the same thing all the time. It's why because you're just writing and that's okay. With I think I think you need to remove the pressure on yourself to write this really fabulous novel on your first go. It's just, it doesn't have to be the goal. Just get it down because once the story, just write it all out. Once the story is out on paper, then you can play with it. Then you can change your characters. Then you can make it what you want it to be. But if all you have is half a story, you can't, you can't edit what isn't there. So just get everything out and then go back and fix it. It sounds, it's tedious. It's, I hate it. I hate it because, and I know (laughs) because I'm stuck in it right now, right? I never edited my essays in, in high school or college. I I wrote it out. I handed, you know, like a cursory proofread, but just kind of like wrote it out, handed it in. That was fine, but not for your book, you know, not for this thing that you've dreamed about and planned for. And these characters who you know and love and the story that you really care about, um, it's it's worth getting it out into the world, which means finishing it. And it's worth doing really well, which means editing it. Right? So, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of... I think I like that description of writer's block a lot, actually. That your writing self and your editing self are both on. I think that's a really 
that description of of what happens there because you can't create. No. And I think the problem is that, I mean, we never get to read, you know, big deal authors or even any author's shitty first draft. We don't get to see where it came from. You know, we mm-hmm. read Tony Morrison's book and we think, oh my God, I can't write like that. And we don't have any idea what the first draft looked like. I mean, no. we don't know. Tony, Morris- Tony Morrison's draft might have been pretty perfect. It might have been pretty there, amazing. But, um, but it, yeah. you know, I'm sure she changed a little bit, maybe. But, you know, we don't, I mean, we hear all these people saying, oh my God, I'd be horrified if people saw my first draft. And then you read their book and it's amazing. And you're like, but what happened between those two things? I don't know. (laughs) So like, I can't do that final thing right now. So then you get frozen up about like, well, how am I going to get there? Is it going to happen? I don't know. You know what I think happens between that first draft and your final draft and however many go in between is clarity. I don't, I really, really don't believe you know your story until you get that first draft down. Um, I'm the different, I, I, so I look at Remember Us and I think of where I started and there weren't huge changes to that one. That story stayed mostly the same. There were some characterization things that I corrected and fixed um, and there were some relationship pieces, but on the whole the story arc remained pretty much the same. What I've found with this, with my second novel is digging into these revisions has really been about fine tuning these characters, changing them a little bit, changing the relationships that are developing, um, changing the story a little bit more because now I understand what the story is and it took me writing out that first draft and really wrestling with it um, to see this is why this is why my character does this this is why she en- enters into this relationship this is why this happens but I had to write it all out to know that and I I think it's an important step in the writing process I don't I think that's why we don't publish first drafts um, I think it's also why we shouldn't have 15 of them. I think <laughs> when I when I tell, um, I see it more with developmental um, and content editing clients, it's here's my first draft and then I'll submit those story edits, right? Okay, this is, we need to flesh this story bit out. Um, I need more detail here, I need more description, or this is too wordy, let's pull that back. It's all those big picture, you know, tightening up here and let's flesh this out and why is this character doing this and like digging into the story ideas. What should happen after I send that back is those revisions should be made in pretty much one step. Send it back for copy edits, do your copy edits, get a final proofread and send it off. There is very, I know that Every, again, I, and I've said this a hundred times, I know, and I know that every author has a different process. I think the danger in ending up with four or five drafts is that you overcorrect mm-hmm. and you end up not knowing. It's the same trap you fall into, right? You end up not knowing your story and you've over edited yourself and second guessed yourself so many times. Um, it's, it's why, you know, I, I recommend especially if you're hiring an editor, if you have a critique partner working with you on that first draft, one person who you trust to give you an honest opinion, then you can send it off to a copy editor after your revisions, right? You can, you can do your revisions, you can send it off to a copy editor and just be a proofread away from being finished. If you try to enlist 10 beta readers, you get 10 different sets of opinions, possibly, um, or people who don't, because the thing with I, my experience with beta readers was, um, I would ask, a, I would ask a handful, I'd get two maybe who were able to give me really thoughtful and helpful critiques on the story and others weren't able to commit to the time, which, Hey, I get it. Absolutely. No, like no hard feelings. Or it was kind of like, Oh, this is really great. I love it. Which 
<laughs> makes me feel good. I'm really glad you enjoy it. But right now I need a little bit more cutthroat, right? Like this is, this is the time for honesty. This is the time for this character is a pain in the ass. And I need, because then I need to figure out if that's okay, if that character is a pain in the ass or if there needs to be, you know, like, are they flat? Are they wooden? Are they just not? So um, I, I think there's a, a danger in, in editing yourself too much as well, where you get stuck in this whole, to be perfectly honest, I think it's fear. And I think we edit and do four and five drafts because we're just, we're scared to ship it. We're scared to publish it. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of a, a stumbling block there as well. I don't think you need to sit. I really don't think you need to sit with your books um, for too long. Well, I think it almost feels to me like there's this fear or this belief, like if I keep editing it, then it'll be perfect and everyone will like it and there'll be nothing wrong with it. And, <laughs> and if it's a good book, that's not going to be true. No. If it's a well, if it, if it's a, if it's a well read, if it's read by a ton of people, that will not be true. You'll have a hundred, if you have a hundred people read your book, you have the potential for a hundred different opinions. Um, and it's, this has been, it's, I, this kind of like strikes close to my heart for me right now because it's something that I've been wrestling with and this idea of, uh, the vulnerability of putting your work out there. It's a scary, scary thing to submit your work to strangers and say, tell me what you think of this. Um, you're offering them a lot of the potential of a lot of freedom for them to hurt you. Um, and I, I think, so I didn't do, I didn't do a ton of marketing or anything on the, on my first novel and it's, um, well, also contemporary romance is a hideously difficult um, category to find traction in. There's probably very literally millions of books out there um, in that category. But I, I didn't do a ton of it because I was really scared um, of hearing from someone that they didn't like my book. And I got a lot of really wonderful feedback and um, that's great. But I think you know, I'm really proud of that book and that's why it hurt. That's why it would hurt to have someone say this was, you know, I didn't like this, but that's, that's the risk in creativity, right? Like that's it. It's so, it's so hard to think about submitting of sending your book out there and, and having people not treat it with the respect you really think it deserves and knowing that you are proud of this book and um, and you really love it and you've given a year or two of your life <laughs> to create this this story um, and the possibility that one person could come along and just kind of um, dismantle that but I think I think we risk um, the few people who won't connect with our work and that's okay not everyone's going to connect with everything. That's okay. Um, books have readers, and I think books find the right readers. And I am learning and figuring out how to, to be okay with those who don't appreciate my work because it's so important for me to find the people who do to find my readers, to find the people who connect with my words, to find the people who, you know, read my book and said, I, this was my life or this, you know, I, I told my, one of my readers that I told my husband, we should reread this every year, just, you know, to like reconnect on our marriage. And, um, and that, oh my gosh, like to know that, you've created this thing that has connected with other people. It's just such a joy of being, it's the joy of being an artist. And I have to believe that that feeling outweighs the people who, who don't like it and, <laughs> and that it's okay if they don't like it but for them. I have books I don't like. Yep. We all do. Right. It's true. Um, 
I'm, it's a whole other show on why I don't think people need to be nasty about it, but <laughs> we might, um, maybe we should have that show. That <laughs> <laughs> there is probably an art to critiquing books without um, insulting the author, but it's, I think it's worth it. In fact, I'm sure that it is worth the risk. I'm sure that creativity is worth the risk um, because there, I, the, yeah. I'm sure that creativity is worth the risk. I think so too. And I think that, you know, for how much a book can mean to somebody, in some ways it's more of a risk not to put it out there for how much good it can do someone who really needs to read that book. I think we underestimate that. That the importance of just that. Yeah. Of of the one or the few people who read the book, read your book, read your book, read your words, your story, and say, this connected with me, this changed me. Like I often think of books that I've read that have changed my life. And I think, what if that author never wrote that book? It's horrifying to me um, and so exciting that I could find a reader who would connect with my characters and my story and my words on that level. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah. I think that's a powerful message for us to end on. And I, I'm so thrilled that we got to have this conversation and I hope that everybody listening is inspired to reach out to an editor and doesn't feel scared because it's just about making your story more clear and more available to the reader. It's not, it's not about, you know, nitpicking. We're not nitpicky people, editors. We want to help you. No, a good editor will let your story breathe. It will let your story sing. A good editor will, um, will just help you make it shine. I promise that the, the good editors out there are not out to to dismantle your story and take it apart. And no, we're we're partnering with you. We're in it with you. We want it to work for you too. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna have information so you can find Lindsay in the show notes. And I'm just so happy we were able to talk today. And I'm sure maybe we should have another show on critique. We could talk about that in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. I found them because I was a subscriber, so I definitely encourage you all to check them out. They focus on contemporary adult fiction with a, an emphasis on literary fiction from debut writers. So it's a wonderful way to find a new book um, because I know everybody loves to read. So check them out, musemonthly.com. And remember the code is secret00, all one word, all caps to get 10% off your subscription. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.